0: Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, my new friend, my new buddy, Simon Doom O'Connor of, of Tulsa Doom, of MGMT, and now of the amazing new Spiral Heads. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, podcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page, and both of those are run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker, not this week, but normally guest booker, Tristan Abraham, and uh, he will uh, get the message to me if you send him a message. You can also find me on various forms of social media at Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way of supporting the show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this podcast. You can also... Write a review and rate it And subscribe to it on iTunes that, That's always helpful You know But n- nice reviews please Nice reviews Nice nice five star ratings Anything like that uh, You can also rate it On other platforms That you listen to it on And you can uh, Join the Patreon If you go to Patreon.com Slash Turnitapunk There's a punk Patreon Where we put up uh, New footnotes And we have yeah, Merchandise And things like that So if you're missing Chris O'Toole head over to Patreon and and, and listen to footnotes. And, and there's also going to be archives and all that kind of stuff going up there. It's, oh, my gosh, trying, trying to do it all. Trying to do it all. It's a, lot, a lot of the plates in the air sometimes. Uh, and speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. They came on board a few years ago and said, do your podcast, just do it. You know, not losing money And they let me do what I want on this thing And for that, I thank them so much And there's going to be another Incredible summer of House of Vans coming up And, and, you know, lots of Lots of wild stuff Spirit of DIY, you know, like last year was I don't know if you got a chance to go to any of those events You heard me talk about it I've got some stuff coming out about that I'm going to be putting, uh, you know, something together about that too Uh, Yeah, one again Once again, a lot of plates in the air (laughs) A lot of plates in the air. All right. Ugh. All right, now let's just focus on the task at hand. Welcome to Simon Doom's episode. Simon is an amazing musician and someone that, you know, like I've, I've heard for years from various people, you got to have Simon on the show, you've got to have Simon on the show. And I've always wanted to have Simon on the show, but we, we, our schedule's just never lined up, so we never got to meet, and I'm always like, I, I like meeting the people before they come on the show because it feels like, you know... It evens out, but you know, but it doesn't always happen. So, we eventually had to make this happen. So, Simon came on the show, and my gosh, what an incredible guest! Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff here. We cover a lot of grounds. This goes to if you know Simon from maybe one of his projects, I promise you, this goes places you don't know because there's lots of things to talk to this guy about. Uh, yeah, this is a, a wild episode and details a very interesting and and legitimately kind of terrifying and fucked up period in, in New York punk from the sounds of it. He brings up some people and brings up some bands. Um, and I think, you know, it's both Simon and certainly the show do not condone these people and their actions or these bands. Um, but it's definitely a part of his story witnessing what was going on, man. When you, when you hear this episode, you'll understand what I'm talking about, but whew, definitely some fucking wild stories detailed in this thing. Um, uh, th- th- I'm going to, yeah. So I, 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 guess, you know, I don't I, like, I don't want to oversell it or, or over prepare you for it, but, uh, I don't know. Just listening back to it, some of the stuff he was detailing, I'm like, at the time, I guess we were doing the interview. It didn't really hit me, but oh man, there's like stories about this being held hostage at a skinhead party and you'll hear, you'll hear, uh, that's it. Okay. Um, um, I'm going to let you listen to the show. That was a weird setup for this thing, but it's an amazing episode. This is one of. One of the, the, the truly uh, all-time ones for me on this show, like listening back to it, like a, a real journey and uh, a real fascinating person. And check out his bands, incredible bands. Obviously, you've probably heard a few of these bands, um, but check out, you know, a really diverse range of sounds that he produced. And also, you know, this thing puts over David Up huge. Uh, shout out to David Up, Dave Ackerman, over there on Turn Out of Punk footnotes sometimes and, and just holding it down, but... Oh, anyway, I'm like I'm just gonna reveal all the details of the show before you listen to it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Simon Doom on "Turned Out a Punk." Simon, thank you so much for finally, finally making it um,
1: and coming on the show. Thank you. I'm very excited.
0: Well, I wanted this to happen in person because I feel like we're people that are gonna have a lot in common and I, and I, I always like those ones to happen in person first, you know, those meetings to happen, but our schedules really have cool. just never really
1: aligned. I know, I know we're always traveling, but you know, I, uh, the first time I heard about this podcast was actually somebody telling me I should do it. And then I <laughs> listened to it. And like, oh, this is great. <laughs> so, uh, so finally, finally it's happening. You know what I mean?
0: Well, I'm uh, stoked it's happened because you can link a lot of disparate worlds. You're one of those people that I think are going to blow people's minds on how deep you go on the punk rock side of your life.
1: Yeah. We'll see. We shall see. We shall see. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, let's start them off the way they all start off, which is Simon, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think it it was through Nirvana. Well, basically like I was always into music from being a little kid and I loved, um, I would always get movie soundtracks, whatever movie I was into, like the Batman, like the Prince version, but I also would get the Danny Elfman original score. And I was obsessed with Bill and Ted Um, when Bogus Journey came out, and I got that soundtrack. And I remember, like, you know, there's a lot of kind of, like, hair metal shit, like Slaughter and Winger and stuff, but there was a Faith No More song on it. And I was just like, I like this. I was seven or something. <laughs> and shortly after... I heard Nirvana on the radio and I was like, this is like that. I like this and kind of just got really, really deep into Nirvana, like obsessed. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of, there wasn't like a lot of Nirvana. There were the albums out, but like there wasn't like a lot of videos you could buy. There weren't like, so I, I would just kind of consume everything and get like whatever comp I could get some pop comps. And I remember hearing like, Uh, I got this video, this, like, sub-pop video promotional thing. I found it at a store, like, HMV, and I watched, and they had, like, a dwarves video for drugstore on it. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Like, this is terrifying. I'm interested. (laughs) Uh, And I got to see Nirvana. Um, My dad took me uh, New Year's Eve, 93, 94, uh, in Oakland Coliseum. Uh, I grew up in New York, but my grandparents lived in Oakland, so I was out there a lot, which is actually... Oh, here's an interesting fact. Quick aside, quick aside. My parents met in... uh, They went to school in Berkeley, and they met in uh, Leonard Michaels, uh, Jesse Michaels from Op Ivy's dad's class. Whoa! So he introduced them. He put them together on on a project. So I like to think that if it wasn't for Leonard Michaels, there'd be... You know, no Op Ivy, possibly no Rancid, possibly no Green Day, possibly no sort of 90s punk rock revival, mm-hmm. and also no me. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, no, no absolutely. Yeah, so I saw Nirvana, and it was like, it was choke bore opening, Bobcat, Goldfuey did stand-up comedy, <laughs> and The Butthole Surfers, and then Nirvana, and The Butthole Surfers. Like, I was so young, I was just just turned 10 had this like operation footage as their kind of backdrop, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I remember being just have, hiding my eyes for their entire set. Cause it was too scary. I was like that young, but then Nirvana played and they was, it was like, a, they played for like two hours plus and didn't an, uh, unplugged set. And um, I remember hearing actually later that like, that was one of the best shows like Kurt Cobain was sober for like two weeks and he was kind of like talking to the audience and moving around. It was like a pretty special night. Um, and, uh, but anyway, like uh, when he died a couple months later, I was like kind of devastated and didn't really like know what to do. But like, I I had kind of like read the come as you are, the Nirvana biography came out like right before he died and then it was re-released with the extra chapter. Mm-hmm. And I read that. And, like, I remember, you know, just all the bands, he would talk about like black flag. Like I would just kind of go to the, go to tower records and like buy whatever. And I remember, I think the first black flag record I got was my war. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I don't get it at all. You know? <laughs> um, it could have been this worse this though. Right? Like my war, I would yeah. say that's
0: on the gooder side of things.
1: Uh mm-hmm. huh but it was just so it was too complicated i didn't understand it and uh but like you know i remember just kind of right like the year after he died and i was like only 10 11 like i was i was in a nirvana cover band we played like the school dance and shit and like started playing guitar but like the kind of the bands that followed like bush and live and shit like i was just kind of like not into and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really didn't like uh melancholy and infinite sadness i was just like this is i just don't this isn't doing the same thing I'm like i don't understand like what it what about like what it is about nirvana that i like that these other bands don't have and i remember like almost a year later i was back in uh oakland for christmas and i heard salvation by rancid on live 105 and uh and became kind of like, this is amazing. Like, this is the sound I like. Like, what is this band? Knowing nothing about them. Um, and because, uh, like, New York radio is kind of shitty. So, like, they, were, they weren't really playing Rancid here yet before Up and the Wolves came out. Um, but then, like, seeing a photo of them, being like, oh, my God, they're <laughs> like those dudes in the village. Because um, I would go... And part of my, like, consuming of all Nirvana things, I would go to, like, Generation Records because they had a lot of bootlegs. So I would get, like, Nirvana bootlegs, like, and uh, there were always, like, punks hanging out there because it was, like, the punk record store. Um, And I remember seeing a dude with a jacket that said Blitz on it. I remember seeing that and being like, that's something cool I should know about. And there was also the tape guy on St. Mark's Place who would sell, like, live bootleg tapes was Merle Allen, yeah, oh, wow. brother. <laughs> I so when it I is. was a kid, like Merle Allen, had, like has met my dad many times, yeah, <laughs> and and like when I was a kid, yeah, I would just you know buy tapes from him, and he would like he knew me, and then I got into rancid and asked about that, and then I remember when Out came the Wolves uh, came out, um, I in Sharpie drew all of Lars's tattoos on my arms. And I went down to St. Mark's to get some tapes. And I remember Merle Allen was like, you got tatted up. Like I was 12, I was tiny. I don't think I was like four foot 11. And he was like, I'm like, they're not real. He's like, oh, I'm like, would you, would he, I was like, you would be excited. And then I caught a little glimpse of his swastika tattoo on his chest. I'm like, who is this guy? I didn't even put it together until years later. I'm like, that was Merle fucking Allen. Um, so what kind of tapes was he selling? Like 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 punk stuff,
0: obviously, but like was he just selling like random rock tapes too?
1: Yeah, random like you know like Pearl Jam live at Reading or something yeah. like that, like just like bootleg tapes, you know. And but then punk shit, but it was all like they're all kind of like you know blank tapes, and he would print out the labels. So you know, I think he would just tape CDs and sell them, and it was a wild time back then. You know, <laughs> yes, um,
0: absolutely. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I think it just kind of started from that. And then there was this kid, I was like, I think I was like, okay, I like punk, you know, and I started to kind of look at the punks, read their jackets. Um, and there was this older kid whose friend, my best friend, Sam, was also kind of like friends, one of his family friends was in this, uh, like a punk kid who's in this band called The Hysterics. Um Who lived in my neighborhood and, Asterix. Uh, Were they they were on they, they were on tribal war, they put a record on tribal war, oh yeah, war. okay, that it sounds kind of, familiar now, yeah, it was one record, I think it had like a baby, a punk baby on it okay um, <laughs> and they were they were cool I mean it was kind of like blank seventy seven type stuff, but he was like the kind of like taught us how to be punk and was like, okay go down to St. Mark's. Like if you want to like go to generation records, if you want to buy punk records, go to St. Mark's and go to trash and vaudeville and George from the casualties works there and he'll help you out. And we did it. Like me and my friend would just go down and like, I'm like, hi, I'm, you know, and I was in this kind of like, you know, fucking Columbia jacket that had like, I wrote like minor threat on the sleeve and shit. And so like, he was very like, okay, this won't do. <laughs> you know you need to dress more punk you need some like you can't just have like normal combat boots. you have to have doc martens and like you can't have like pajama pants you look like a pirate like you need to have tight bondage pants i was like okay noted and he would also give me um tapes and stuff like that he was really kind of very into like getting people into punk um and yeah and i remember like figuring out what his band was because the kid I heard Pogo Attack, that compilation, and like mm-hmm. with like Osrat and the casualty. Kind of like the East Coast punk scene at the time and like just being like, Okay, that's who's and he had that, they had the song for the punks on it. I was like, Okay, this is great. They say this is a punk band that looks so punk and they say punk in every song, the word <laughs> punk, you know. So I'm like, This must be um this is like the right move. And uh so I was like, I remember I wanted to but I was kind of too young to go to shows still, because I was mm-hmm. about twelve, and like I um, I remember trying to go to CBGBs. Uh, this is like before I even knew about ABC No Rio, and they wouldn't to go see Oxymoron and Braindance. Dance. Um, and they well, the Oi band boy band on Helena Oi Records, Brain Dance. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a George a George suggestion. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me in because I, was, I wasn't I was 16. Yeah. So, like, I made an ID, a fake ID to say I was 16 to get into CBGBs um, out of, like, a school ID. I mean, it, it looked like – I think it was just, like, handwriting. It looks like something yeah. a child would make because I was <laughs> a child. But, like, I remember when I got arrested when I was 16, I remember the cops finding I had, like – the fake ID that said I was sixteen or nineteen at that point. Then I had another two other fake IDs that said I was twenty-one. And I remember them being like, Are you a fucking spy or something? Like, what's <laughs> up with all this like fake shit. But uh Yeah. Um so I like wanted to form a band and uh put an ad. But I was like, not, I couldn't go to shows, so I couldn't really meet people, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So I put an ad in Slug and Lettuce. Do you remember Slug and Lettuce? I totally remember Slug and Lettuce. Like, it was yeah. more like a newspaper, right? It was a newspaper, yeah. yeah. It was like a kind of like crunk, Peace Punk newspaper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they would have them at Generation Records for free, and I saw the classifieds were free. So I put like a personal ad, and it was like, you know i was like very clear i'm like 12 year old boy <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> i know i mean jesus fucking christ like i'm lucky that this didn't go worse um like seeking band members um no one over 15 like, need apply and then i gave my home address and my phone number you know of course <laughs> and the responses i got were kind of crazy i mean no one no one like they were like you know I mean, it's kind of cool. So I suddenly had like a bunch of 20 something <laughs> pen pals from like all over the country who would just like write me and like send me tapes and including one who I'm actually still in touch with. Really? Uh, who lives in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And she has like, and it's, it's awesome. Like she kind of like found me and she comes whenever MGMT play in Pittsburgh, like she comes and she has like a she like the dudes in the band like call her like crust punk mom and daughter cuz she's a daughter who's also like a crust punk. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of like a cool team. But I see them still. But like yeah, um
0: were, were like people writing you from like other parts of the country expecting you to form a band over like tape exchange or like was it just because they were like, "Oh, here's another young person to reach out to." <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it was more like these were other people who were kind of the only punks in wherever they were, you know? And I think they didn't really pay attention to the band part, and they certainly didn't pay attention to the under 15 part, you know? (laughs) Because, like, I would get, like, they would also send photos because you wanted to, like, prove how punk you looked. So I remember, like, getting this, opening this envelope, and it was like the return address was, like, some dude named Spider, you know, from Florida. And, like, it was just him throwing up you know like with a mohawk and i was like what the fuck you know oh if you'll be held onto like, that <laughs> yeah. maybe i have i don't know who knows it's probably my parents house but um i don't know i feel like now like it's interesting that you know our mutual friend dave ackerman like I, when i heard his his uh interview and i was like oh man this is there's gonna be a lot of like overlaps because it's kind of the same scene at the same time but like yeah like there's this dude sid who had a kind of who sold punk videos who kind of responded and ended up like buying videos and he'd give you this list and you would choose like he'd make them like okay i want like crucifix uh the addicts whatever and he'd like make that video then you meet him at a train station and he wouldn't go out of the train because he'd want to pay the fare again so you give him money and he'll pass you the vhs cassette but then i remember him being like the first time i met him he's like i also have screwdriver i'm like not interested dude you know <laughs> like, it was such a fucking drug deal it was incredible you know um
0: it's all this sketchy stuff that like now you know as like a parent there's no fucking way i want my kid hanging out with, like, grown adults doing, like, exchanges with this, like, dude on the subway late at night. But it's just, like, part of growing up in the period where, you know,
1: culture could be sold for a premium. Absolutely. I actually just told my parents recently about my first, like, drinking party, my first, like, party I went to with alcohol. Mm -hmm. I've never told them. And as I was telling them, I'm like, this is the most terrifying experience ever. This is like literally like the last thing you want <laughs> your kid going to. Cause I would there's this little skinhead kid, like, cause I was only, I wasn't allowed to go out at night. I would just kind of go to St. Mark's during the day and just like, you know, sit there with like a Mohawk and hope other people with Mohawks would talk to me, you know, yeah, and then yeah. I would go home by 8 PM. And there was like this little skinhead, um, who was older than me, but he he was like my size, like kind of prepubescent. And like, I became friends with him and he lived in Westchester um, and in this like super rich town, but he literally lived in like the one, like the wrong, there were like tracks and then his house. You know what I mean? Like he was like (laughs) the only poor resident in the whole town. Mm -hmm. And he had a party and he met my parents and like they were like, I was like I want to have a sleepover at Craig's house but I knew that it was a party and it was like a fucking skinhead party <laughs> scary skinhead party um I ended up drinking piss oh my um God. Yeah, but I ate dog food. Like I was just like they were just torturing me, like, oh and I was just so god. scared that I would do anything they said, you know. And then they and then like at one point, like they put on screwdriver, and I was like, oh my god, you know. And it was like, and I, I had no choice; I had to stay there, and I couldn't, you know. There was no way to get home. But like, yeah, yeah. that was that was my first party. Uh, oh my god, that's a terrifying story. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. the other yeah.
0: thing is like New York. You know, and maybe it's changed now because obviously the I, the, I, the city's changed, but like it, at that time and and prior to it's it's just it's gets so real so quickly. You know, and like yeah. you meet these kids and then next thing you know it it turns out like oh shit, these kids are like <laughs> super
1: sketchy and it's yeah. It really you no, know, it really was cuz it's kind of like it was interesting. Like it was at the point it was bef- it was as like Giuliani was kind of cleaning things up and like mm-hmm. the quality of life uh, laws and everything like that. But it was still really sketchy. Like you'd still, it was still just kind of, there was a lot of like the lower East side was like kind of a, a no go zone. And like, um, you know, I remember like, I mean, ABC, when I discovered ABC No Rio, like I had to lie to my parents about where it was because they would just not want me in that neighborhood at the time because it was just, you know, like the walk from the train to ABC No Rio, which is, was on a, you know, uh, between Clinton and Suffolk on Rivington, yeah, was just like, People beating each other up with bottles, like junkies on like lying in the gutters, and it was just really fucking sketchy. And Abysinian Rio was sketchy too <laughs> at that time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like it was basically, um, you know, it was kind of. I would go there and get drunk in the back. It was like basically like a place for underage kids to like. Get drunk and be home before curfew because mm-hmm. there was all matinees, mm-hmm. but it was but it was cool. I mean, like that's how I ended up meeting people and, and eventually forming bands. Not true. Sure. Band was on AOL. My first punk band on like punk chat on America Online <laughs> and like yeah, we're called Social Disease. <laughs> um, played one show. And I went to camp. And then when I came back from camp, the singer was gone. He's just, and I ended up finding out that he was his family was he's Venezuelan. His family was deported while I was at camp. Oh, but wow. I was like, Where's Where's John? Like everyone's like, I don't know. Like, he's just gone. You know? <laughs> um but yeah. It was uh it was um it was yeah, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time, and like it was definitely like a lot of lying to parents going on, you know?
0: Yeah. Like you it was, was a weird time.
1: It, it, it was, I think it's like a weird time for New York, uh,
0: punk, you know, like it, once again, like you're talking about how ABC no Rio was like this underage drinking spot by that point. It's like, yeah. Cause it's kind of like that post that born against Rorschach period. Yeah. And it's before, uh, like, you know, I guess tear it up and, and like a bunch of like kill your idols and like a bunch of other bands uh-huh. are going. So it's like this, this period where it's like, like, I guess the casualties like blank 77s, like
1: the casualties would throw this show kind of once a year. That was almost like their own curated punk rock South by Southwest in some ways with cheese. <laughs> it was amazing. Like they would choose bands. Like, who they thought were cool, like younger bands, and there would be like eight bands opening for them. And I remember that like, I I remember, I think that like social disease, like George agreed to have social disease on that show. But then when I got back, but then... Our singer was deported, so we couldn't Mm -hmm. play. Mm -hmm. But like you know, I think like the unseen. I remember seeing them for the first. I think they were on that show, like the virus, and like kind of a lot of the like casualties esque bands from the East Coast. Um, But yeah, like there was definitely it was a it was a very there was a lot of heroin and like in the scene at that time, and it was really weird being a little kid, kind of like I think it was like it was post Gigi Allen. Mm You know, but like, there was definitely the, uh, the aftershocks were there and like the murder junkies, like, which I think that what people don't, I'm not sure they, the murder junkies were like a, not just a band. They were kind of like a gang, you know, there were like people who were murder junkies who were not in the murder junkies. If that makes any sense. Um, and they were just like everywhere and they would just show up at shows and ruin them, you know, just, they were just so scary um
0: was it like a cult of Gigi kind of thing in his like wake his like disciples going out to like re- enact his word type thing fucking up shows yes was...
1: yes yeah they would kind of like say they were just like they would sit on saint mark's they would sit um and just you know heckle people and start fights and you know openly do heroin and throw up and they, i think it was it was members of the band like the dude mike denied was like Kind of The main guy, but then it was also like, yeah, people who knew him, and then there it was like a lot of like you know what we call oogles yeah. uh, yeah. now, like, but just like dudes with swastika tattoos in their faces, and like, I um, yeah, I ended up getting like, when I was thirteen, like getting on their bad side, <laughs> which was like specifically targeted by them because of a, I had a girlfriend my first girlfriend in high school and junior high. And I remember like at that point I was like, if you, if you want to date me, like you gotta be a punk, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. She was like, okay. So I'm like, so the, you know, and I gave her the same instructions, go to trash and pop. we will do all this. So she got into the punk scene and like, but then like got into the wrong part very quickly, you know, mm-hmm. um, started like hanging out with like, started doing dope and like hanging out with, uh, kind of like the murder junkie gang. And I remember like at one point seeing her just like sitting with them, like nodding out and kind of like, I don't know what was going through my head, but just being like, I think just trying to be like, leave them. Like these guys fucking suck. Like just kind of talking shit about them. And like, because they were all in their mid twenties and stuff. And she was 15, Mm you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, just saying something they didn't like. And after that, I started to get phone calls at my parents' house, like from these dudes threatening to kill me. <laughs> like okay. it was, yeah, it was really fucking scary. And I remember, and that's when around the time Falsa Doom started, which was like the punk band I was in that put records out and we had like a split with Distraught stuff, but like we were playing pretty big shows. And I remember we were playing, on my birthday, actually, I think like 90, it would be like 98, no, I think I was 14. I'm um, playing at Coney Island High with subhumans and they all knew that. And like, they were like, um, uh, like if, you, if, if you go to that show, like we're waiting for you at that show, if you go to that show, like you're going to die. So I was like, well, I really want to play this show. So I ended up doing kind of, as we were talking about before, I ended up like calling up that skinhead dude whose party I went to years before, and was like, "Can you just hang out with me and your, can you, you and your friends, just like hang out with me all night?" And they did, and it was okay. Nothing happened. I'm still here, but yeah, man, it was grimy.
0: <laughs> that's grimy. Yeah, that's definitely. It's yeah, wild, like. It well, and it's also, you know, once again, it's it's like a different time, but at the same time, it's like. It's just like all you need to do is like fuck up – not even fuck up, like try, try and do the right thing but with, in the wrong situation and and have to, you know, like deal with that in the punk scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just like a lot of a – lot, a lot, that side of it, the kind of the, – the creepiness like kind of got exhausting, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that like it's interesting because – that was my era. And like after, and I went to college and like when I got to college, I was kind of like, I think I'm just done, you know? And, but that was the point where I feel like the punk scene got better. <laughs> like that's when, like, you know, like I like I knew Dave from dead nation. Um, and he was kind of like the older, cooler punk. Um, but I never, I didn't even know about tear it up until years later. Cause like that, when that started, I was kind of out because I was just like, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, it's just too much, it's too much emotional work going to punk shows. Like I need a little bit of a break, Mm -hmm. but like, I realized that like a lot of my friends who stuck in it were like, you should have stuck it out. It got better. (laughs) Like, I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, but, um, it's interesting, man. I don't know.
0: Going way back to like, uh, when you were saying you formed that Nirvana cover band, did you grow up in a house with like music kind of around? Like were your parents both into music?
1: Not really. Um, no 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 musicians. I mean, my dad like has an interest in in music and you know, like played me the you know, played me the Beatles and stuff like that. But he was fascinated by Nirvana. Uh he thought they were great. And like he was he he was excited to go to the show. But beyond that, it was kind of like have any older, I'm the oldest and I didn't have like kind of anybody. It's just something that it was, it was it's interesting when I, why I talked about the faith no more thing. It's just mm-hmm. strange that like naturally I just liked this kind of weirder sounding hard rock just naturally. And it kind of came from nothing. Like out of all every song on that soundtrack, like I didn't gravitate towards the kiss song or whatever. Like I liked the the weird one. So <laughs> I don't really know. It was kind of a, I don't know. I mean, there's a big, scary cathedral on my block, and maybe like looking at that every day made me kind of in touch with the dark side. I don't really know, (laughs) but but now there's not there's not much music in my family, and I kind of had I just kind of like went out and just became obsessed and found it myself, you know.
0: And where where did you like kind of go get the inspiration to start playing guitars?
1: Once again, from Nirvana. Yeah, it was Nirvana. Um and yeah, I, I just wanted to, I just kind of like wanted to be Kurt Cobain. Yeah. And and, and like re- like I as soon as I started playing, I was kind of like obs- obsessively playing. Like practice as soon as I got home from school until I went to sleep, I would just play and uh and like you know, that band, I was 11, but like we had originals, man. We wasn't all, we recorded. Like, really? It wasn't all Nirvana. Yeah. Uh, there was a song like I wrote, you know, because it was kind of like pre girls for me. So it was like a song I wrote about my little sister and how much I loved her. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, Like, Yeah. And, but yeah, it was like, it was that, it was just kind of attempts to write Nirvana songs. Yeah. yeah. um, But then, like, but I, I definitely, once I heard Rancid, I quit that band. I was like, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm a punk now. You know, I, I can't play this alternative rock bullshit, you know? Um, but they kept going. And I remember, like, they play, I think they changed their name, and they kept, uh, and they kept some of those, they kept playing the song I My Little Sister for a couple of years. I remember that. Well, that's a good tribute like, to you. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. It had, it had life. It had life. Um, but, yeah, no, I think I was just, like, pretty much decided that's what I wanted to do very early in life and kind of kept trying. And, uh, I think that was another thing is like the punk I got into, like I skipped a lot. Like I skipped, I didn't really get into 77 punk until I was in my late teens, and early twenties. Like I didn't like, I kind of, if it didn't have like the D beat, like I didn't like it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I also kind of, I also was like, if you didn't look like punks, <laughs> I didn't like it either. And, like, get it. So, like, I could, uh, I I didn't, I kind of overlooked, like, a lot of bands that I adore now. Like, even, like, The Damned or, like, you know, Eater or, or even, like, Wire and like, any of that shit. Like, I didn't know about at the time. Like, I kind of just knew about, like, the UK82 stuff and, like, the faster American hardcore, you know? Um, and I felt like I missed a bunch, but I think that's part, so part of it was like that stick, like, like the only thing you do, you know, mm-hmm. that was another like frustration I had with what I believe to be the punk scene was like, I'm like, I want to, I remember salsa doom. I start to kind of write more complicated songs with a little bit of like uh, and then we got, like wanted to get a second guitarist so we could do a couple guitar monies, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I remember playing at ABC you No know, Rio, and Dave Ackerman was there, and his friend Stuart, who, Disturbing the Peace, he had wrote that scene, Disturbing the Peace, you know? Yeah, Game with the Archives, like, you know. Stuart, right? Stuart Schrader? <laughs> yes, yes. And I remember him... Screaming, this isn't a metal venue or something like that. Like this, and I'm like, oh, shit, cause I'm like, oh shit. and I was like, fuck, because they were the fucking as cool as it gets for me, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, like I remember like Dave, like you know. Now I feel like we're more on an equal plane. Like, like when I was like, I was like, oh, man, I hope that Dave wants to hang out with me, and then he did. And I was just like, oh, that's so cool. Well, you idolized and I remember, these people, yeah, as a young person. Yeah, I remember lying to him <laughs> about. <laughs> He, I wonder if he's going to hear this and be like, oh, interesting. Like, I got, I went to England with my family when I was 14, and or in Scotland, and in this tiny little town, and there was this antique store, and somebody had just basically sold their entire punk rock uh, seven inch collection to the store, and they were selling all of them for one pound. That's amazing. And they were like, it was, so I like, Got as many as I could afford. Yeah. But there were like deep, deep ones. Like there was like uh like sedition and like Jesus christ There was like New York shit, like Jesus Crust and like the denied and like a lot of and, and 40 ounce casualty, which was out of print, the first casualties. Yeah. It was crazy in Scotland. So I came back with like all these seven inches. And I remember when Dave came over to my house, he was like whoa he's like i didn't know because they all came out like 91 or 92 when i was literally like seven you know (laughs) and and he's like how did you get these i'm like i got you know i just i got them at the store like i remember like trying to convince him that i had bought them as they came out (laughs) as it came out but like like not thinking that if he did this tiniest bit of math he would realize that's absolutely impossible but there was a lot of like there was a lot of me feeling like I missed the good part. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, I missed the cool, like, the, you know, or I, when it was much more of a, like, the early cross, New York cross punk shit. And I missed, like, a lot of shows. Like, and a lot of the bands were kind of broken up at that point who ended up reforming, like, Os Rotten and The Pissed and stuff like that. And I remember being like, fuck, like, I was a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. to see all these bands that like in mankind or whatever that everybody reveres. But I think I would just like got nervous and like told Dave that like, I had seen all these bands and that I was going to show since I was six or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> just cause I you know, he's cool. Yeah, but, You always
0: want to impress these people. Cause like, once again, like it's, they're almost like, it's funny. Cause like we, you know, punk's all about destroying heroes, but it's just about
1: building heroes on a much smaller scale yes totally totally yeah um but yeah that I means the same sort of thing like distraught were like the coolest band uh i i could imagine you know they were just like and i think it was because they were, they were so heavy that it's almost like i felt like i was too uncool to like their music <laughs> if that makes any sense like because like you know i came from rancid and like no effects and shit like that. And then the casualties are very palatable and very easy and stuff like that. And even the exploited and, and like, but distraught were just like brutal. <clears throat> um, and they were also kind of old. They were in their thirties then when I was in my young teens. But like, um, when I formed Fulsa Doom, like, I, like we ended up putting out a split seven inch with them. I was like, this is incredible. Like these are the coolest dudes I've ever met in my life and they're willing to, like, share a release with my, like, little kid band, you know?
0: Well, how did that come um, about? Because they just did that one EP, and then the split with you. Oh, I guess they did another split years later, too. But, like, it was like, how did,
1: did how'd you meet them? Well, they, they're, they like, New York, right? They're New York, yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay, so now, yeah, I, so basically, Leora, the singer of Falsa Doom, worked at generation records Mm -hmm. so she had so she basically like knew everybody and she was george and the casualties girlfriend at the time okay so we got a lot of like our first show ever was opening for stratford mercenaries you know steve ignorance band oh yeah And, and i remember being like people being like how the fuck did you get that show? Like our first show, you know what I mean? Like that's a show at Coney Island high. Like that's a show that you, you get after being a band for a couple years, you know? Yeah. And like, so there was definitely like a little bit of nepotism <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the kind of, in the Tulsa doom experience. Like we definitely got more exposure than we were deserved. And I, and I think people kind of knew it, but like, we weren't terrible, but uh, like, cause we would, the casualties would just, Basically, if the casualties were on a bill, we could get on that too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So the distraught thing happened, I think, through Leora and through the record store. And because they were all like, you know, George was their age too. And they all, I think it was much more of a, there was less division between like the spiky haired kind of like UK82 punks and like the crusties i think in like the late 80s and the early early 90s so yeah, like they yeah. all kind of hung out and played shows together um so that's how that happened but uh yeah i mean it's i mean that was something that was kind of amazing about it it's just like and then you know we'd play Dead Nation all the time and um and new jersey and shit and it was kind of you could have like like you could put out a record with like your favorite band and that was, yeah, not really any other scene you could do that in, you know? Of course. Well, you mentioned
0: like going from, um, going to college and kind of like leaving this music behind. Like what, what was your like immediate kind of like thing that kind of drew you a little bit away from this side
1: of punk rock? Um, I think, well, the Tulsa Doom ended right before I went to uh, college, and I think it was just like New York at the time. Like I was one of two kids in my high school who played guitar. What an indie rock scene that I was aware of at the time, um, and I was I was listening to a lot of different music while I was listening to, while I was into punk, mm-hmm. and kind of started to expand my taste like I was even like I was playing like in the jazz ensemble at the same time as I was in Fulsa Doom playing this like you know beat shit and um and I think when I got to college I met people from all over the country who were into a lot of different stuff like the MGMT dudes I met there and um they kind of turned me on to like indie rock which I'd never really heard um, I mean, a little bit I had, but like, i never, I didn't go that deep and not only that, but kind of like they were into stuff that was considered punk that I did, like gang of four and, uh, you know, the fall and stuff mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. that I had, I didn't have any exposure to cause like the nineties in New York was really, was like a hip hop town. I mean, that was what was coming out of it. And it was like, if you wanted to play rock music, like the, the punk scene was kind of, one of the only outlets at least in my experience but you know i think that's kind of what drew me away but i've regretted it i mean like i you know i'm gonna just started a punk band this year because like sometimes i'm like man if i just stuck it out i could have like made punk in the way i wanted to i could have made punk interesting for myself i didn't have to just play in this one band like i could have done a different one but you know whatever well it's it's funny because like,
0: well, you're, it's so determined on who gets you into punk. Like you're saying, like the person that's exposing you to punk had very specific taste, So that's reflected in the music that you wind up being in because at the same time that you're into, you know, this, this whole like Coney Island high, uh, ABC, no Rio side of punk rock. There's also like that whole Matador
1: scenes going on right. Parallel to it. Right. Totally. I just was just unaware. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's almost like, well, okay, I think that it was the fact that I was in Berkeley in the East Bay like every year. Like, <clears throat> I would get a lot from there too. Like, I would kind of like found out about Grimple and Filth. Like, Filth I fucking love. Um, and like EconoChrist and. Um,
0: EconoChrist and I like fucking love.
1: Me too. Oh my God. Um, love them. They were on, they made my. Uh, they made. Each of my punk jackets, definitely. Yeah. They were one of the um, one of the best vo- yes. voices ever in in
0: hardcore for me. Like I think Ben yes. from Iconoclast's voice is just like perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember hearing um, uh, uh, Devo. Like I mean, they did the De- did the Devo cover. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I remember uh, what song was it? Uh, Uncontrollable urge. Young Joel Urge. I remember hearing the Devo version being like in college being like, Oh, I thought it was an Econo Christ song. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. And I'm like Yeah. And like same with uh Yeah, like when I like realized that Tonight We're Gonna Rock You is a spinal tap song. It's not actually by Resist, you know? Um Did you
0: did you go yeah. to any shows in the in the East Bay when you're going out there? Did you ever go to the Gilman or any of that stuff?
1: Um, I went to Gilman once. Um and I saw a f i um, oh wow yeah, like in the punk days, and yeah, and I had like my little Gilman street uh, membership, that was, it was just like the problem is the time I was going was always around Christmas, and mm-hmm. I feel like there were there wasn 't a lot of activity then, and like Gilman and i was, I would only go for like six days, and I think Gilman wouldn 't have more than one show in a week, <clears throat> and i didn 't really know anyone out there, but like I would just walk down telegraph i wouldn 't even go to San Francisco but I would walk down Telegraph Avenue and like, even from a young age, like I had a lot more freedom there cause it was safer. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York, like it was really, it was really dangerous. To, and especially in the kind of the neighborhood I grew up in, I mean, which is near Columbia. It's, it's fine now, but in, like the nineties, it was still flanked by kind of sketchy areas. So like I wasn't, I couldn't really be out too late. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I couldn't be out on my own as much. So, like, a lot of, like, what I just, like, my punk rock discovery was just from, like, every day going to Telegraph Avenue and, like, going to Amoeba and Rasputin and just, like, looking at the punks on the street and, like, and they were, you know, um, so I, I, think, I think a lot of, and, like, obviously Rancid, you know, and, like, a lot of, and I would collect flyers. Like, I actually have a ton of Gilman Street flyers for shows that I did not go to that I would just take off. Telephone poles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, cool ones. (laughs) You know? And, like, I probably told Dave I went to those shows, too. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think it was, like, honestly, if Rancid didn't have mohawks, I might have not... I might have, like, still been in a punk band now, if that makes any sense. I think, like, Rancid's mohawks made me think all punks need mohawks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so the punks that had mohawks tended to play this certain kind of music. So in my mind, I was like, if you don't have a mohawk, you're not a punk. And if you're not a punk, your band is not a punk band. So I kind of like only allowed myself a kind of sliver of this larger scene that I got a little bit of frustrated with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Um, and also when I got out of college, New York was like the indie rock capital of the world, you know. That was like strokes and yeah 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 and all that. So like that was going on and that was interesting, you know. Yeah, like, um, you know,
0: that city must have changed so much from when you went away to college to when you came back to that. Like I mean, outside of just music, like I, I think culturally that was such a huge changing point in, in
1: New York. Yeah, it was. I mean, 9-11 happened the week, my first week of college. Um, and, uh, yeah, when I came back, it was like, I was older, too, and I was allowed to go to, I mean, the punk scene was, it was for kids, mostly, you know, at that time. And um, and so I had access to kind of different venues, and I, was, I would go to bars for the first time. Um, the only bar like I went to before was a uh, Sweetwater. I don't uh, which was owned by I th- some of the dudes in distraught. Um, and it was like the first thing in Williamsburg, you know, it was oh, yeah. like, I remember it was on North sixth street, right. outside the L train and there was just, it was this bar and then nothing Yeah, either way. <clears throat> and like right off Bedford and like, it, which goes to my uh, theory of, how punks are responsible for gentrification, you know, yeah, absolutely. I, like the punks come first, right. They find this neighborhood that's like untapped and Williamsburg is perfect because it's one stop away from the city, but there's nothing going on there. <clears throat> they start, you know, having shows there. Um, in these, and then like the artists go to the shows, the artists are like, this neighborhood's cool. They set up there they start having art shows there that bring the kind of yuppies in the yuppies go to the art shows and then you know that's that they need somewhere to drink coffee the coffee shop opens
0: you know they need somewhere to eat dinner afterwards the restaurant opens and then and then the condo comes and names itself after the the neighborhood or something <laughs> yeah, exactly
1: totally so that it's all it's all the punk's fault they're entirely responsible but yeah um uh yeah, that bar was it was cool. and so it's I mean, it's a restaurant now, but I remember mm-hmm. playing the Save Sweetwater Festival in, like, 2000 with Fulsa Doom and, like, Disassociate were playing and Distraught and, like, Public Nuisance and a bunch of those bands. I think, like, Choking Victim, maybe, or maybe they just ended, I don't remember. But, um, yeah, and that was, like, right before I went to school and, like, when I came back. That was another thing. Williamsburg was, like, there was this area that was kind of like where all the indie rock bands would play and stuff. And so, yeah, it was a different sort of, there was just more going on or I was aware of more things, partly because of the people I met, partly because of getting older, and also partly because of the city changing itself, you know?
0: Yeah. Like in in short order, you'd have like CBGB's closing, and then you'd have ABC No Rio kind of closing. And then it seems like every venue kind of since then opens for a little bit of time and then, it it gets shut down like you're saying by that next wave of gentrification that kind of moves in like throughout Brooklyn it's kind of been chasing it around ever since that you know time period you're talking about.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like definitely, like the Lower East Side was no longer like the home of punk, and like it was getting pushed further and further away. Or there were, there was just like not. I mean, there were just weren't exclusively punk venues anymore, in, in the same way that there was when I was going to shows every week, you know. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man. Like, so it was fascinating. Uh, but I don't know. I like I I I do kind of like I like never saw tear it up as I said. And I wish I did bands <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, there's like, and it's it's funny because like
0: in addition to this kind of Matador scene we're talking about that's happening parallel to it, there's also like that you know Capital NYHC scene that's happening too. There's also like a kind of garage rock scene that's happening at the same time. Like it's amazing how many things were happening there. And like, yeah, like, you know, you had to pick a lot more too. There wasn't like a website that just generally covered all music. Like if you were like a punk head, you're digging out slug and lettuce magazine. You're like, you're trying to get profane existence. Like you're, you're, you're going to your own media and you're not really reading about all the other shit that's happening.
1: Exactly. Yeah, totally. You're not like picking up the village voice. Like you're just kind of like, you go to a show and then you hear about another show and then you go to that show and you hear about another show. It's kind of how it works. So you kind of get, you know, there's your, you have tunnel vision to a certain degree. If you're like in that scene, it's harder to kind of figure out what else is going on that night. And I never had to like, I never, the New York hardcore didn't really appeal to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does more now, interestingly enough. But like, I think that's another thing where I feel like hardcore kids, like, if I was a little bit more open-minded, like, I think that, like, hardcore kids had more of the right idea than I thought. But at the time, it seemed too uh, basic in a way, you know? Like, too kind of jockey. Um, but in New York, it, it, you know, it also was. Like, you know, if you're wearing, like, a fucking agnostic front shirt, like, a cop will compliment it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. it's, yeah. Uh,
1: it's um, But... You know, I I do think that like there was definitely I feel like I feel like Dave there were people who would kind of like who I think it was also the age I was I was so young when I got into it that I had my my mind made up when it was still uh, developing so to speak and if I had I continued I think I would have been kind of figured out the landscape a bit more you know but
0: we had to pick right like it once again like there's limited resources that. You had to decide like what you were going to be into, especially, you know, when it required such a commitment fashion wise, you know, like it was, it's not like yeah. you, could, you couldn't just charge your hair and then have a completely different hairstyle
1: the next week. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Even though there were people who did that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> there were people you know, who did that. <laughs> there were definitely people who did that. Um, well, I guess that's why so many skinheads because you just shave your head, right? Like it's a real easy one, two transition yeah. there. Exactly. I've always find that uh, that transition interesting, especially late in life skinheads. You know, I was that's fascinating to me. Where like thirty eight, they're like, I'm a skinhead now. You know, yeah. um, it happens. Yeah, <laughs> I think baldness might, might is, play a part in that, though. Yeah, that might be a part of that. That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. There was like, I think that like, I really there was just a lot of others. I was really into the Portland scene, like. And uh, the Minneapolis scene, like profaning existence and stuff. Like I loved, I loved Code Thirteen mm-hmm. so much. And I remember going. Actually, I went with. I went to the show. Oh, this is another crazy story. <clears throat> Here's a crazy Code Thirteen show story. Um, I went to go see them at Stalag Thirteen in Philly. Um, around, I don't know what year, maybe '99 or something. But I went with Dave. Uh, Ackerman, and Steve Distraught. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like, Hawk from Distraught was from Minneapolis, and he was in Hellspawn. Anyway, I mean, they all knew each other, so I was just so stoked, because I had never seen... I don't think Code 13 played in New York during my, like, tenure there, you know what I mean? Um, but they were playing in Philly. So I went out and drove out with uh, Dave and Steve, and I got there... And, like, Stalag 13 was, like, a grimy or ABC No Rio, if that could oh, yeah. even oh I Yeah, you, you, you've probably been there. I remember um, my,
0: my defining moment there was walking in the bathroom and someone had shit beside the toilet.
1: There you go. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. So, like, because it was just scary. I mean, like, yeah. that was, like, that, you know, there wasn't a business that didn't have bulletproof glass. Like, yeah, 100%. Like a very you know,
0: different neighborhood in Philadelphia than it is now
1: yeah um so i went there and in the backyard i saw like a group of junkies just kind of sitting around and the girl who i had dated in junior high who ended up hanging with the murder junkies oh, was shit. there yeah and i'm really like oh fuck and she's with like her junkie boyfriend dude and like started talking he was kind of like a like oh wow you know like Caught up a little bit, but I could tell that like shit had life had not been great. So she had a you know a kind of crusty dog with her, and she was like, "Take care of this dog," um, while I go outside and do something, whatever she was doing. Her and her boyfriend did. I'm like, okay, because I was still kind of like, you know, still had affection for her and stuff. So I remember being in the show with this dog right inside yeah. and. I wish I remember who the first band was. The first band started playing, and it's a pit bull. And the dog just, like, freaks out because it's so loud and runs out the door. And I was like, oh, no. I lost this junky dog, you know? And <laughs> she came back and <laughs> was so fucking pissed and her boyfriend and, like, just started being like, you know, I hate, like, kind of just threatening me and being like, you, you know, same sort of shit, same shit. Like, if you leave here, I remember him saying, like, if you leave here, when you leave here, like, I'm gonna fuck you up. Like, I'm getting, yeah. I'm gonna get some people. And I'm like, not again, you know? So, code, this is well, when Code 13 was playing. And they were kind of like pushing me. And like, the body language was obvious enough that, like, I think people could tell that I was being menaced by junkies, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I remember Felix Havoc after the show being like wait for us like we'll walk out with you and they were like you know tough fucking punks i mean they had like they would all would pose with guns on their seven inches yeah felix like, you know? felix is a gnarly dude yeah um and like i waited and they like got all their shit together and then we like all walked out and there were like junky dudes with like chains and shit. It was like a fucking, it was like RoboCop. You know what I mean? Like it was like dudes with mohawks and like chains and like knives and then we're like, then there was the other punk gang and I like safely made it to the car because of them and I remember years, 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 years later I was like, I was in Minneapolis and I saw Felix Havoc uh, at the Triple Rock Barton and I was like, thank you for saving me from that Philly junkie gang. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, <you know, laughs> did not remember. It was a big moment for me. And it was like also another moment where I'm like, my fucking hero, you know? Yeah. This guy. Um, and Havoc Records put out some bangers. He fought, yeah, they were great, man. Yeah, I think they're all doing well. Last time I checked, all the Code 13 dudes are like, have successful contracting companies and stuff like that. Or lawyers or even like Ass Rash are doing well. You know? Yeah, Felix,
0: um, Felix, last time I, I don't know, I haven't talked to him in years, but he did a 7-inch for Fucked Up, oh God, I guess like 2011, maybe before that, just okay. before that, but he was doing well. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, in, and, in, right. in, you know, like for you, that was like, you know, like, a, and for me, that would be like a, a life-defining night, but I think for Felix on Havoc, Fighting Junkie Gangs, it's just like
1: another Co-13 <laughs> show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, Tuesday, you know? Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: so, where yeah. did you, um, you know, like you mentioned coming back to New York, and and where did you kind of go from there? Like, it was such like a, you know, it seems like now there's that book about it. Like, but it is a heady time. Like, you know, the post. It's such a, a weird time in New York, obviously, because of you know everything that happened on September 11th. But mm-hmm. beyond that, I think it's also just such a. It's almost like there's like a New York Renaissance that happens almost immediately after.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was like, you know, I started playing kind of more indie rock bands, and like eventually MGMT and stuff like that, and, and doing a lot of touring. But, um, you know, I think I kind of, re- Salsa Doom reunited in 2011. I don't know, if, and like, we've actually been playing shows ever since. Oh, really? Which is kind of nice. Yeah, what happened was, Steve Ignorant was coming back. Um, with, like, his, like, Stephen Grant plays Crass, you yeah. know? Uh, and he somehow, the promoter, or he, or whatever, asked us to play. And I almost felt... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was like he remembered us from, like, 1998 and was like, can you play? And we we're like, let's just do it, you know? Um, it was almost like he, I don't think he, like, it was almost like time hadn't passed, so... I kind of like felt like I, and so I, like basically since 2011, like, it's also been played like five shows a year. So I feel like I have my like little, uh, I call it like my golf, you know, yeah. where like I have this, my like little crust punk vacation with my kind of high school buddies like once a year. And like everyone in the band does different stuff. I'm the only one who's still a musician, but like it's almost like I wouldn't see the guys in the band if it wasn't for those shows so yeah. it's almost like this you know nice little kind of like get we can get away and we go and play like skull fest in pittsburgh or something like that um but yeah so i've always kind of like definitely like spent a few years away from it but like i've been gravitating more towards punk in my free time ever since you know mm-hmm. um which is it's been fun man um
0: this has been amazing finally getting to do this with you and i want to invite you back for a part two but i can't keep you all day on your birthday but would you come back for a part two Ah,
1: i would absolutely love to thank you very much yeah totally um cool and happy birthday to you again
0: dude this has been amazing finally getting to do this and and yeah let's next time do it in person finally
1: seriously definitely yeah let's check our schedules and and just and just hang um awesome (laughs) damien
0: Thank you, Simon, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Simon's going to be back for part two at some point. Um, in person, maybe with David Up. Maybe I'll make that reunion happen. He can apologize for lying about those records, uh, you know. And, and now you hear what I was talking about. Like, you know, certainly we put talk about a lot of people that uh, are not necessarily condoning those people or what they stood for or their actions. And that goes for both, I'm sure, Simon, and certainly goes for myself and, and this podcast, obviously. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, I'm going to let you uh, relax and en- enjoy the rest of your day and your evening or go to bed or work at the gym, whatever you're doing. It's weird. Like, uh, yeah, I'm just sitting on a desk, but you're probably doing something way more exciting right now. If you're like me, you're probably just on the toilet and to a podcast. But whatever you're doing, do it well. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Live it to the fullest. Uh, and I will see you next week on the show. And speaking of next week on the show... I got I got another new friend coming on I got another new friend that was friends with last week's guest and I didn't even know about it uh, this is a, a great episode as well wait I'm on a streak with just people that were up for fun conversations well, harrowing conversations in the case of some of Simons stuff that he's talking about but just like people that are into this thing and, and just down for the hang And so next week on the show We're we're continuing the streak going With Katie Crutchfield Of Waxahachie Of the godly P.S. Elliot Waxahachie's godly as well But Bad Banana Great Thunder The Ackleys The Ackleys A band that I, I know very little about But I find out about them next week This is a good episode We go deep And uh, yeah Then I, I find out that You know she knows Kevin And, and they should have split You'll, you'll hear it next week It's one of those things you kind of have to hear, like, this episode, too, you know. And you're going to hear it next week. All right. Well, that's it. Go out there and make your own culture. Do what you do. Sign your organ donor cards. Uh, Shout out to show producer, my brother, Tristan Abraham, on his brand new beautiful baby, Ivy. Congratulate Tristan at your leisure. I saw the baby today, and it it just... it was amazing. If you're listening to this in the future, it's probably not a brand new baby. So write to Tristan and ask, uh, you know, just say like, hey, check, check in. What's up with the kids? How are the kids doing? All right. That's it,
1: everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.